are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. You're part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. You're listening to who? Always wonderful. And might I add, handsome host of this podcast, multimedia journalist and graphic designer, Miller Thomas. So please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. For today's show, we're going to, of course, start off with those hot stove rumors. Then we got some comments from Tori Lovello. And then finally, we're going to get to number two, the five biggest moves in Dimebacks franchise history during winter meetings. I found this one to be very interesting, just like the rest of them. So stay tuned for that coming up in segment number two today. But first, if your company is interested in reaching men between the ages of 18 and 44, Your company should be sponsoring this podcast, Locked On Diamondbacks, to listen to by 98% men and 80% between the ages of 18 and 44. So if you want men in that age range, this is your spot. Plus, I'll rate to the most reasonable round. Email me at LockedOnDiamondbacks at gmail.com to find out more. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account at LockedOnDiamondbacks for the Twitter and Instagram handle of the podcast. Now, let's jump right into it, and let's look at those hot stove rumors of the day. And this was a rumor, not even a rumor anymore. This was from the other day, but officially got announced today. David Dahl signed with the Rangers. He's a guy who is always consistently hurt, but when he plays, he is one of the best outfielders in all of baseball, a former number 10 overall pick, former top 100 prospect. So that's a good pickup by the Rangers. Uh, It's a very high ceiling, uh, a little bit of a risky move because of his injury history, but they're only paying him $2.7 million for a one-year deal. So it's basically basically a one-year prove-it deal. David Dahl, if he could go out there, he's still only 26 years old, which is hard to believe, but if David Dahl could go out there and be the guy uh, that's performed as good as he has the last couple of years, like he did when he was an all-star just in 2019, if he can show he's that guy and he can remain healthy for the whole season, then that will be a steal by the Texas Rangers. Some other moves of the day, or not moves, but whispers and rumors. Chris Bryant is apparently linked to the Nationals, according to their manager, Dave Martinez. He said Bryant's name has definitely come up in conversations, but if you ask the Nats GM, that isn't the case. Mike Rizzo said they haven't had a serious conversation about Chris Bryant in about two years, so definitely some... uh, some a little tension, I guess, between the GM and the manager. I guess manager airing out some laundry that the GM doesn't want the rest of the baseball world to know. I'm sure they've had a serious conversation about Chris Bryant in the last two years. I'm sure the manager, Dave Martinez, wouldn't say an outlandish comment like that if it wasn't true. So I'm sure the Nats are definitely in on Chris Bryant. But will it definitely happen? Will it come into fruition? That's another question for another day. Now, some other rumors is Jake Ordizzi, the the pitcher, he's not a tier one pitcher, but he's definitely a tier two pitcher. And he 
has his market heating up apparently. Blue Jays, Angels, Twins, Padres, Red Sox, Mets are all teams believed to be in the mix for Rodizzi. He definitely seems like a sleeper among all pitchers this offseason. He seems to be a guy that could be first off the board among uh, among you know his contemporaries like a Trevor Bauer and some other good starting pitchers we see on the market. Jake Ordizzi might be the hottest name of them all. He's been a pretty good pitcher for a, a long time now, honestly. He's been pitching since 2012, was an all-star for the first time just last year in 2019, a career 392 ERA. Career 392 ERA, so he's definitely a, a number three probably on most rotations, maybe a number two, but I think people would rather have him as a number three or four kind of guy on a team like the Red Sox, the Mets. If you can add him as your number three starter, that's going to help you out tremendously. Maybe as the number four starter on the Mets if they get Syndergaard back healthy. So Jake Ordizzi is going to be, you know, swing, moving the needle for a lot of teams this offseason. And he's not, you know, a tier one pitcher, like I said, but he's the kind of guy that could definitely move the needle for teams that are fringe playoff contenders who want to be World Series contenders. And then the last one is probably the Jackie Bradley market. It seems like his market's heating up as well. He's a center fielder coming from the Red Sox, a free agent now. Just had one of his best OPSs since 2016, 814 OPS this past season. He bad 283 as well. And I think he's flat out the best defensive center fielder in all of baseball. So Jackie Bradley is definitely a guy who's going to get a contract. I don't think he's going to break the bank, but what he can do for you defensively is basically game-changing because he's out there literally saving runs what he could do with his defensive prowess. Uh, having him in your defensive outfield for the whole season means you're probably going to save like 10 runs throughout the course of a season, which can definitely swing ball games. So adding Jackie Bradley, he might not be the best offensive outfielder but what he does defensively more than makes up for what he lacks in consistent offense now let's look at Tori Lavello's comments uh from this past weekend because he was on Arizona Sports Today so it wasn't this past weekend he was on Arizona Sports Today and he actually talked about Ketel Marte a little bit and he mentioned about you know we know Ketel Marte is a dynamic player but he's talking about how Ketel Marte could see more time than just second base and center field this season we've seen Ketel Marte play multiple positions in the past he's been a second baseman a center fielder and they even played some time at shortstop and Torrey Lovello talked about how dynamic Ketel Marte was and he thinks we could still see him play a lot of different positions in the future. He actually said, for for Batum, this is a direct quote from Tori Lovello. With Ketel, I feel strongly that he's a dynamic enough that he can play three positions on the diamond as good as anybody in the game. My conversation with him, he doesn't care where he plays. He wants to do what's best for the Arizona Diamondback and what's going to be best for the team. And for the Diamondbacks, I'm thinking... We've talked about how, you know, a couple of the Dimebacks needs are either going to be a second baseman if they want to move Ketel Marte to center field or a center fielder if they keep Ketel Marte at second base. But what if you make both of those holes, you move Ketel Marte to shortstop, they could go out there and now sign a second baseman and center fielder. Now, I know second base is probably a weaker position offensively in baseball, but guess who's out there on the open market right now? DJ LeMayu and he might cost some big bucks, but I think you get a get him for a short short term deal, maybe two years, 
40 million, maybe something like that. You probably have to pay him around 18 million dollars, maybe 18 to 22. Maybe you could get him for 16. But if you could move Ketel Marte to shortstop, go out there and sign a center fielder like Jackie Bradley, sign a second baseman like DJ LeMayu, I think you have an even more stacked team because shortstop is a, a better position in baseball right now than second base. But one of the best second basemen is a free agent right now. So you could have two of the best second basemen in all of baseball on the same team. Move Ketel Marte to shortstop because he could play almost any position on the diamond. Sign DJ LeMayu. And now you basically cornered the market for second baseman. And I think that would just be tremendously up the middle too. Defensively, you'd be pretty strong with Ketel Marte and Jackie Bradley. And then offensively, you would have a lot of pop. You would have solid contact from all three. You would have guys that know how to get on base too and that are smart players. So for the D-backs, I would definitely like it if they could do all, if they could, you know, pull that off. I don't think they could do all three. I don't think they would move Ketel Marte to shortstop and then sign both of those two guys. But it's just something I was thinking about and it's something I think that would be pretty smart for the Dimebacks to think about as well. Now, we'll look at the second biggest move during the winter meetings in Diamondbacks franchise history. But first, Let's get back into it and let's talk about the second biggest move in Dimebacks franchise history. But first, I want to talk about some news that we might have missed over the weekend. Because if you guys didn't see, the Mets made their hiring for a new general manager and they actually poached the Diamondbacks. They stole our assistant GM, Jared Porter, who's been with the team for the last four seasons. And this guy, he's he's a wizard. He's going to be doing great things for the Mets. He's still only 41 years old, so he's still a pretty young guy. And this guy has been around championship championship success pretty much his whole career. He started with Theo Espin uh, under the Red Sox. He was with them when they won a couple of World Series championships. And then he went to the Chicago Cubs and was, and was with Theo Epstein there as well when they won the World Series championship in 2016. And then after that World Series championship, he's been with the D-backs ever since 2017. So this guy's been around. He's been around a lot of winning, not so much with the D-backs, but with the Red Sox, with the Cubs. Anytime he was with Theo Epstein, he's won a lot of games. And this guy, he, he's been a, a director of scouting for a majority of his time, so he knows what to look for in players, and I think the Mets got a good, got themselves a good one with Jared Porter. Unfortunately, Ryan Finkelstein, Locked On Mets, and I did our discussion last week before this news broke, so I would love to have him on to talk about this, but either way, shout out Jared Porter for getting your bag with the New York Mets. But now, let's transition, and let's look at the second biggest move in Dimex franchise history during the winter meetings, because this is another move that did not go the D-backs way. We, yesterday, or not yesterday, because what's today? Is today Tuesday? Okay, yesterday's pod. I thought today was Monday for some reason. I was about to say on Friday's pod. But yes, on yesterday's pod, that just how, that, I just let you guys know where my head is at right now. But on yesterday's pod, we talked about the third biggest move in Diamondbacks franchise history during the winter meetings. And that move actually worked out for the D-backs. It was them getting Dan Heron. And it worked out for them because Dan Heron was 
he he lived up to expectations. He was as good as advertised those two years with the D-backs. But when you look at what the D-backs gave up, Carlos Gonzalez, outfield stud for the Rockies. Carlos Quinn, outfield stud for the White Sox. Chris Carter, a guy who's led the league in home runs before. So the D-backs gave up a lot. So considering they only had Dan Heron for two years, I think it actually ended up being a bad deal for the Arizona Diamondbacks. But what about this other deal that happened in 2015, the second biggest deal during winter meetings for them? And during this is a deal that I know you guys are going to remember because it is 2015, so it wasn't that long ago. And this is the D-backs. Trading for Shelby Miller and giving up Ender and Ciarte, Dansby Swanson, and Aaron Blair. And this was such a bad move because Shelby Miller just never panned out for the D-backs. And he was absolutely atrocious. That first year in 2016 with the D-backs, he had a 6-1-5 ERA, pitched two more years. And that final season with the D-backs, had a 10-6-9 ERA and only 16 innings. He only had about 140, 150 innings pitched. Over his three years with the D-backs. So he never worked out. And you couldn't blame the D-backs for wanting a guy like Shelby Miller. Because he didn't pitch that bad before he got to the D-backs. He was actually coming off an all-star appearance. An all-star in 2015. Now he did lead the league in losses. But he was on a Braves team that lost like 95 games that year. Something around there. And his numbers were still good. A 3.02 ERA. Had over 200 innings pitch. His strikeouts per nine wasn't super high. But one two four seven whip you could definitely live with that fip of three four five so he definitely had some good numbers to back him up and the d-backs they were moving you know it was one of those situations again like we always talk with the d-backs where they were coming off a, a pretty competitive season 2015 they won 79 games they were pretty competitive they had some really nice offensive pieces uh paul goldschmidt of course aj pollock david peralta and then their rotation, it just wasn't strong enough. They had Robbie Ray, they had Patrick Corbin, but Ruby De La Russa, Jeremy Hellickson, Chase Anderson, it didn't look that strong. So what did they do that offseason? Before the Shelby Miller trade, they actually went out and they went out and acquired Zach Granke and signed him to that record $200 million deal. So they got Zach Granke, they already had Patrick Corbin, they already had Robbie Ray, so they figured they already had three of their five starters. So what did they do? They said they're one starter away from making a real push for the playoffs. So they went out there and they acquired Shelby Miller. And Shelby Miller was a guy who was very coveted around the league. According to MLB trade rumors, up to 20 teams were bidding on Shelby Miller. And why wouldn't that? He was 25. He was cost controllable and he wasn't expensive. He was cheap. You know you were gonna have him for the foreseeable future. You weren't gonna be you weren't gonna be paying him a lot. And he was only 25 years old. So a lot of teams would have done what the D-backs did. But would they have given up as much as the D-backs gave up for Shelby Miller? Because let's not forget. We know Dansby Swanson now. We know how he was a top prospect, but the D-backs actually drafted him number one overall just a couple months before they traded him. Number one. So this was a guy who was considered a potential stud, and he hasn't broke out yet for the Atlanta Braves, but he's been pretty good the last couple seasons. He hasn't been uh, you know, a player that's been 
you know, lived up to that billing of a number one pick yet, but he has shown some pop. 17 home runs in 2019, along with 10 stolen bases. You know, he, he gets on base at a decent rate, 325, but he's definitely shown that he has another gear and another level he can go to, but out just not Dansby Swanson. He wasn't the only guy in that trade. And, and Darren Ciarte was also another guy in that deal who actually turned out to be pretty good for the Braves. And he was just kind of a an outfielder who didn't have much value to him. He was definitely considered good because he did come off a season where he batted 300, had 21 stolen bases for the D-backs. But he was considered expendable, I should say, because the D-backs already had David Peralta. They already had A.J. Pollock. And they had Yasmani Tomas signed from a couple years ago. So they figured they had their outfield set. So why not trade Ender uh, Ciarte? And he ended up working out great for the Braves. He made one all-star team and won three straight gold gloves as soon as he was traded to the team. So he definitely worked out for them. And for the D-backs, you know, Shelby Miller didn't work out. And that whole season in 2016 didn't work out. The team was not as good as they thought they were going to be. In 2015, I mentioned how they're... Outfield was pretty set. AJ Pollock was coming off a pretty good season in 2015. He had 20 home runs, 39 stolen bases. David Peralta just batted, you know, 300, 893 OPS, 17 bombs. And uh, you had Ender and Ciarte there as well. But you moved to 2016. They traded Ender. And so they thought they were still going to be set with Peralta and AJ Pollock. But what happened? Pollock ended up missing like the entire season with injury. David Peralta only played 48 games as well. So Yasmani Tomas had to become an everyday outfielder, which wasn't as bad as I think we remember. He batted 272, OPS 820, 30-plus home runs. He just couldn't play any defense. They had to sign Michael Bourne, who was definitely past his prime, and they had to make Brandon Drury a full-time outfielder. So they went from David Peralta, AJ Pollock, Yasmani Tomas to... Tomas all of a sudden being the best outfielder the D-backs have, and that's not saying a lot. And then when you look at that rotation, Shelby Miller definitely didn't live up to expectations with that 6-1-5 year, right? Robbie Ray wasn't as good as we saw from the 2015 season. Zach Greinke wasn't the ace that the D-backs thought they were signing, and Patrick Corbin was a shell of himself in 2016. So everything didn't break right. Nothing broke right for the D-backs. And they actually ended up winning 10 less games from 2015 to 2016. They went from 79 to 69 wins. And it was just a a very sad season for the D-backs. And in the end, they traded an outfielder who ended up being pretty good, ended up being an all-star. And they traded the number one pick in the draft and won the best up-and-coming shortstops in all baseball. I mean, we just saw... The Braves, not too long ago, trade Andrelton Simmons because they believe in Dansby Swanson so much. So for the D-backs, it was another move that didn't work out for them. And after three short years or maybe three long years with the D-backs, Shelby Miller went to the Rangers and had another season where he wasn't any good. So for the D-backs, this was another move that didn't work out for them. And it just kind of all ties in together with the Yasmani Tomas signing and a lot of these moves kind of happened all around the same time. It seems like the D-backs just made awful moves all around the same time because they go from uh, they go from the Mark Trumbo trade, which didn't work out in 2013, and then they sign Yasmani Tomas in 2014, and then in 2015, they do this move for Shelby Miller. So back to back to back, 
they do three awful deals. And the move we're going to talk about tomorrow, that is number one on this deal, happened in 09. So from 07 to 09 to 2013 to 2014, then 2015, the D-backs' five biggest moves in Dimebacks' franchise history during the winter meetings basically came in an eight-year span. And so far, three of those four moves were unmitigated disasters for the D-backs. And you could even say the Dan Heron move didn't work out either. So D-backs right now are 0 for 4 on winter meetings deals. And let's hope tomorrow's deal actually worked out for the Arizona Dimebacks. And if you guys can guess what move that is that happened during the winter meetings, send me a tweet. You know, don't be afraid to interact with me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, at LockedOnDimebacks on both the Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And as always, that's it for this edition of the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. Come back tomorrow to get more Diamondbacks news, coverage, and insight. And like I said, as always, hope you guys are staying safe and staying healthy out there. Deuces!